Your greatest asset isn't how much money you have or your house. It's you. You matter. And you're awesome. Don't fight us on this one. Ask your friends. Visit betterhelp.com hacks and take care of number one with some online therapy because you deserve to invest in your greatest asset, you. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. The average price of a home uh, in California, Mark, just hit $800,000. Depending upon whatever survey you read, that's anywhere between 150% above the national average to 250% above the national average. And why is this? Because of the extreme environmentals, environmentalists that have a stranglehold over Sacramento and have a stranglehold over Gavin Newsom. Mask and vaccine keep our kids in public schools safely. Larry Elder and the Republicans want to walk off the same COVID cliff as DeSantos and those folks in those other red states. Hey, Hackaroos, hello. We are back after our, you know, what, welfare state, easy, labor-driven vacation with my two communist partners in crime here. But it is good to be back. I enjoyed the vacation, too, to be honest. And uh, we are, well, California, here we come. Because today we're going to talk a lot about the recall. You just heard the two top candidates. Uh, radio talk show host and Republican Larry Elder and embattled Governor uh, Gavin Newsom, who are battling it out for the recall on the 14th. Plus, abortion is back in politics. We're going to talk about all of that. And we thought we needed a really good guest. So we reached into the world that the kids call the interweb. And we got one of the best, an old friend of both of ours, Gibbsy. Who we got? Well, this, uh, Murphy, I know I will go slow on this because I, I know you're still trying to get over Napster shutting down. So, uh, <laughs> I, you know, we look, we got, uh, we got one of the, the best, uh, in the business here. Peter Hamby, formerly Yay. of CNN. Um, he hosts a show called Good Luck America on Snapchat. Don't worry, Murphy, I'll explain that to you, uh, after we're finished recording. All right. uh, that, you can but, get that on AOL, right? <laughs> Yes, you've got okay, mail, good. Murphy. Uh, but uh, and writing now is a contributing writer for a startup called Puck News. And I'm just going to say this. I'll say this at the end, but I'll say this at the beginning. Read what Peter writes. Uh, he spends a lot of time smartly, lives in California. He's outside of the Beltway. So it's not all this kind of pundit BS. It's what's going on in America. Peter, thanks for uh, for joining us. Thanks for having me on and go Auburn. Robert, there you go. <laughs> you beat the zips. Oh, suck up. <laughs> hey, I'm an LSU guy. In hour two, we'll get to college football. He's part of an incredible new thing called Puck, which is a website of high-level journalists dedicated totally to the humor of Don Rickles, at least as I hear. So uh, Puck News, check it out, everybody. It's really cool. So Gibbs, take us in. Where, how, do we, how do we explain this craziness? Well, that's a great question. So we're going to do California today. And I'm, uh, you know, we're, we're really just a week away from this recall coming to an end. And, uh, you know, Peter wrote recently on California, lives in California. Murphy is... Um, you know, you're you're a recall guru, if you will. Ha! Well, I live in California. I vote here, and I work for Arnold in the first recall. That's what got me to California. I was minding my own business in Tony Georgetown, waiting to be invited to a cool party with Peter and the Vanity Fair guys, and all of a sudden, I got a, literally a knock at my door at night. It wasn't even a phone call, 
and I was bundled up. And uh, the next day I was walking around in my Washington, D.C. uniform of khakis, blue blazer, and uh, uh, rubber-soled shoes on the beach in Malibu looking at a (laughs) massive party uh, that Jeffrey Katzenberg was having. Um, and, uh, one thing led to another Dick Reardon brought me out the former Republican mayor of LA was the leader in the polls at that point, but he hadn't announced. And one thing led to another. Next thing you know, I'm looking at the Mr. Freeze costume in Arnold's office in, uh, Santa Monica, Venice, kind of right on the line there. And, uh, I went to work for the Schwartz. But anyway, enough about me. Let's talk about California. So you, you two, you two live out there. You, you sort of. You've seen this up close, Murphy. You saw this when it happened one other time in history in 2003. But give us a little bit of background. How does this whole process work? Well, let me let me start with the political science 101 stuff and then throw it to Peter for his point of view as a keen observer living here now. So in 1911, kind of close your eyes and imagine the Hacks on Tap radio theater here. A bunch of guys with handlebar mustaches got together in California, all men at the time. And said, you know, balderdash, we need reform. It's time for progressive ideas. So they passed a, a, a constitutional amendment creating the initiative and referendum process. You want to get around the whale oil trust or take it to the voters? Then they got their lather up and somebody said, hey, we need a constitutional amendment to be able to recall a governor who might be in the pocket. Our friend Upton Sinclair says too much. Po-. And they did that. And then then they got really drunk and said, and we've got to give women the right to vote. And that passed, too. It all happened in 1911 here. Uh, and now, since 1911, we have had rarely the ability to recall a governor. And you do it by going out and getting, you know, a lot of signatures. I, I think it I think it was about a million one this time where you get voters to sign. They turned in like 2.3 million because a lot of them get knocked out. And uh, then... There's a process, and you can put a recall election on the ballot. It happened in 2003 with Gray Davis, who had had an unpopular car tax and a few other things. And it kind of lightning struck, and then Arnold and over 100 other people ran. Uh, and the, the way it works is there are two ballots. The first ballot, and this will be September 14th, though here we vote by mail tremendously, even more now during COVID because they've loosened up the rule, which is a bit controversial. They basically mail everybody you know, uh, on the voter list a ballot. Uh, anyway, you, you vote yes or no, keep the governor or dump the governor. And if dump the governor gets 50% and wins, then you look at a ballot. There are 46 people on the ballot this time. And there are joke candidates, semi-serious candidates, and a few actual polls on there. And you pick one. And only whoever leads that thing. There's no runoff. It's one big ballot with everybody from every party on it. So if you get 25% of the vote, you're governor, as long as the first election goes your way with a majority. So that's that's what's happening. Peter, what uh, what, what do you, you know, it's interesting. And Murphy just said 25%. But in reality, you, you get 46 candidates on the ballot if there's a recall all you got to do is get more votes than anybody else. I mean, you could have a tiny percentage uh, of the votes cast for somebody who becomes the governor of the largest state in the country. Yeah, I mean, th- I went back actually and looked at the margins from the 2003 recall. And, uh, you know, Gray Davis lost Mike by almost a million votes on the yes, no question. And then Arnold pretty much consolidated, you know, the vote. He won with 45% among the other options on the ballot. You know, this time, yeah, there's so many candidates. The Republican Party, you know, has is pretty divided here. I mean, there's one Democrat 
first of all, let me say this. The Newsom campaign in the state Democratic Party made a bet early on, which is probably smart to say we don't want any other Democrats on the ballot, right? That the only option here, the only campaign we're going to run is against the yes, no question one on the recall. Uh, Antonio Villaraigosa, you know, chronic thirsty politician thought about running again here in California to get on the ballot. Tom Steyer has more money to spend, apparently, and he thought about getting on the ballot. They, they're not running as an option to replace. Um, there is one Democrat in there, a YouTuber guy named Kevin Paffrath. Um, but these are all mostly Republican, Libertarian, or just wacko California-type candidates, um, like hippies and former models and things like that. But to your, to your point, um, Larry Elder, the uh, sage from South Central, emerged as the top candidate after getting in the race because this guy has like 40 years of talk radio name idea in the state. And very quickly, he emerged as the front runner because one, he had you know name recognition. Two, he raised a lot of money and was able to get on TV in California, which is incredibly expensive. Mike knows better than me how many media markets are here, but it takes a lot of money to run a statewide campaign. There's not a ton of sort of hand-to-hand combat and door knocks necessarily. It's a lot of paid media. Um, And with a divided sort of field of options, um, Elder kind of emerges the front runner, uh, but only really with like 18% of the vote, (laughs) according to a poll back in July, which gets to another point about this race you know, and a problem with politics generally is is there's been a lack of polling really in this race. There's probably been about like three or four good polls um, and they've been few and far between. And there was one in July, um, I think from UC Berkeley that showed among likely voters, Republicans were very close uh, to Democrats in terms of wanting to, uh, excuse me, Republicans were likely voters were almost evenly split as to whether to remove Newsom from office. And that freaked out everybody, freaked out the Newsom campaign. It got the media to start covering it. Um, And, you know, Elder was seen as the front runner at that point, too, because that poll showed him at like 18 percent of the vote. And so, you know, the Newsom campaign had to sort of change tax and figure out, oh, shit, we have a real race on our hands. How do we do this? And their strategy changed a lot from when the race began. So Murphy, let's go back for a second because I think you, you touched on this, and 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 you know I, I think it's an important strategic decision that the Democrats made, and that is focus all your energies on this first question. Newsom is telling people just vote no on the recall and ignore the second question, which you talked about, which is do you want Larry Elder, uh, who Peter just introduced to us? Do you want the perennial candidate? Do you? Uh, do you want the former mayor of San Diego? Well, John Cox, who's running with a live bear, unleash the beast. He's also he's got a bus with a live bear, and I would predict about three hundred pounds of bear tranquilizers. Yeah, because <laughs> the day the bear wakes up is the last day of the Cox campaign. Uh, but but anyway, your 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 point being, yeah, yeah, they they had a strategy. In two thousand three, the the lieutenant governor, the, the then lieutenant governor Cruz Bustam, Cruz Bustamante decides. The polls are looking shaky, and I'm going to throw my name in the ring for the recall so that in the event that the Governor Davis at that point was on very shaky political ground, maybe in a state of of Democrats, they'll recall the governor but elevate the lieutenant governor. This campaign, Newsom has said, don't get distracted by that. Let's focus on question one. How do you think that's changed the calculus? 
Well, it, it has been a shrewd move by Newsom, and I, I think it was always what they're going to do because they said, all right, everybody hates Gavin. We, we have a recall. So if we give them any landing place where they can hang us and get somebody new who's less objectionable, we're in trouble as long as that's a Democrat because the best slogan would have been fire Gavin but get a good Democrat instead because it's overwhelmingly Democratic state more so than it used to be. So instead, they put out the freeze. And I had two major candidates on the Democratic side call me to kind of think about popping up as the fallback in the recall. But And I'll talk in a minute why, why that all kind of didn't happen. But anyway, with nowhere to land, no Arnold. See, in the 2003 recall, we, Arnold was not a partisan figure. It didn't divide up red and blue. And you never want to divide up California red and blue because there's such a big blue vote. There's no longer an election. It just becomes a tribal deal. So Arnold was interesting and new in the California dream and all that kind of stuff. So he was a safe place to land after you voted for recall the governor. What we have here is a bunch of people fighting a Republican primary. Uh, so they're all running base campaigns. We had Caitlyn Jenner showed up, got the big media pop, went nowhere, hired Parscale and the Trump criminals. Of course, they got in the direct mail race and spent a lot of money. Now the campaign's broken dead. You know, pretty predictable. You didn't have to be Kreskin to know that was going to happen. Uh, then you had John Cox, the guy with the bear who's run before, lost to Newsom last time, going to lose again. Then you had the one who could have been a competitive candidate, Kevin Faulkner, was a well-regarded mayor of San Diego, moderate Republican. But he hired the Cruz guy, so they put a red hat on him, and he's never been seen before in California, which is too bad. I'm voting for him, but uh, uh, he never had a chance to get noticed. And they had Larry Elder, who started, by the way, as kind of an interesting, sane, libertarian talk show host, but in the last 10 years has been swirled into the, the, the realities of the base of the Republican Party. But he had some name ID. I mean, the other thing Arnold had was he was famous. None of these Republicans running have the money or the fame, or the base to be an attractive statewide candidate in a, in a place that's as big as a country. So the Gavin people knew, all right, as long as there's not a safe Democrat to land on, we can make the race about, you think we're bad? How'd you like a Governor DeSantis Trump nut here? Um, and so w- what's been interesting about this one is there have been kind of two moments. Originally, COVID hit, Huge homeless crisis, by the way, which the sheriff of L.A. who's a Democrat has a great line. Yeah, you know what? No, Nothing turns a liberal into a conservative faster than a homeless guy taking a shit on their lawn. And uh, Which, by the way, was the lead of, of I think, the lead yeah, That was in your, your article, piece. right? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah a great yeah. line. He said, he said, yeah, nothing changes your political viewpoint more than a transient taking a shit in your front yard. And not to interrupt, Mike, I mean, I, I live in Venice, and, and he— Villanueva, the sheriff, I mean, he was elected in 2018 as a progressive Democrat. Now he's like a Fox News guy. But, you know, if you're you're a homeowner and you're dealing yeah. with crime and homelessness and those sort of things and you live in Venice, California, you voted for Joe Biden. And now you're looking around and you're like, ah, like things don't seem to be working very well. Like and, and we can get more into, I think, like why Newsom was in trouble uh, about a month ago. And I think that's part of it. There's a lot of sort of disaffected Democrats who are pretty frustrated with the the California experiment, who are willing to take a flyer on saying, let's get rid of this guy and just like have someone else in office for a year. Quickly, it's been an interesting chronology. So COVID came, a lot of shutdown. Gavin got credit for it, but in small business world, in Latino small business world, which is huge, Latinos now the number one voting group in California, in a lot of places, and in Southern California where Gavin's really never had a grip. You know, he wins not on Gavin Love. He wins on the D after his name. Anyway, there's a big revolt. So the Republicans 
go out and start getting signatures. They get a lot, there's a recall. But then the vaccinations start, the reopening happens, you know, middle of the year, people relax, and the energy in the recall dissipates. And the Gavin people start, you know, they're back at the French Laundry, as far as I know. They're having parties, they're happy. Uh, and we should probably explain the French laundry. You just minute, had to but, throw that in, didn't you? But yeah, yeah, you know, I'm still an R, uh, even though my party's gone insane and, you know, I voted for Joe Biden. But uh, everything calmed down and the California conventional wisdom went back to, ah, it's great, it's never going to happen. Then Delta came. Right. We had COVID too. And every governor in the country, I don't care if you're DeSantis or Gretchen Whitmer, I don't care about your party. If you're an incumbent in a state that's pissed off about COVID, your number's going to drop. And all of a sudden, there's a shocker poll a month ago, recall tide. Huge panic, you know, because conventional wisdom is totally set by media polling. If I ran the uh, PRC's Foreign Intelligence Service, I'd spend all my time bribing American political pollsters or media political pollsters just to manipulate the politician. So there's this big panic. And now the polls are starting to open up again because the Gavin folks have run the simplest campaign in the world. Bad Republican Trump against Elder, who's not really defined, you know, radio guy. And it's work. All right. Hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. And now a word from our sponsors. You know, Gibbs, we've heard Axe talk about this. His eyes kind of glaze over. He gets a happy place grin. It's pretty unbelievable. And what he's talking about is Magic Spoon, because growing up, we all loved cereal as kids. It was one of the best parts of being a kid. But now that we are, unfortunately, adults, we have to give up some of that stuff because of all the sugar and junk and all the stuff that our doctors tell us we really shouldn't eat. But now, if you want to cut down on carb sugar and an unhealthy food, guess what? You can check out this new amazing product, one of our great sponsors, Magic Spoon. Yeah, I've been drinking protein shakes and protein powder for years, but finally found a delicious way to get my protein before and after workouts without giving up that cereal that you crave. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. That's only 140 calories a serving, Murphy, because I know you have a spreadsheet that keeps it. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low carb. One of the cool things about all this, Gibbsy, is you can customize it. Build your own bundle with the flavors you want, be it cocoa, fruity, frosted peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, or an old favorite, now back. So get some cookies and cream and the spectacular maple waffle. Let me tell you, Murphy, I love mixing and matching. You know, add me a little cocoa and a little peanut butter, and I am there. It's a healthy and delicious way to start your day, and it's perfect for that guiltless midnight snack. So go to magicspoon.com slash hacks to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code hacks at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so remarkably confident in their product that it is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. Now, how often do you get that? So if you don't like it for any reason, let's say the waffle isn't waffly enough, you can get a refund, get your money back, no questions asked. So, so Murphy, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash hacks and use the code hacks to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. All 
I think what's interesting here, and I want to get back to what you were sort of setting up a bit, Peter. In 2018, Gavin Newsom gets elected with 62% of the vote, right? Only to be outdone by Joe Biden in 2020 with 64% of the vote. So I get the, look, I think governors everywhere. I wouldn't want to be on the ballot right now uh, either because I think governors have had to make some tougher decisions than they may normally have had to make. But Peter, how did we how, how did we get into a position where somebody that got elected with 62% of the vote at the beginning of COVID was pretty popular doing daily briefings like Cuomo? How did we get to this point where there's enough excitement to think about recalling him? What else played into this? Yeah, I mean, one, I think Mike's exactly right that outside of the Bay Area, I mean, California is a huge state. They're more registered Republicans just by raw numbers here than pretty much every state other than Texas, maybe. <laughs> um, but he got elected because he has a D next to his name. You know, he doesn't have a clearly defined brand outside of being extremely handsome and having chiclet teeth, you know. Um, and you Same know, with Murphy. Some, <laughs> he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's passed some progressive things. He obviously has a lot of goodwill in the LGBTQ community because of, um, you know, he came out in support of, of gay marriages in 2004 when the Democratic Party was terrified of that idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the two biggest things that happened were last summer, supporters of the recall, who early on was this weird amalgamation of like small business owners and hardcore Trumpers and anti-vax wellness moms and Nazi surfers in Orange County. Like, it was just a weird mix of people. In other and words, the California electorate. Basically. <laughs> I kid, I kid. They, they sued... My memory is a little foggy here. They basically asked for an extension on right. gathering signatures because COVID inhibited their ability to collect signatures outside of Ralph's and Gelson's and at the bar and in the street, right? And so, you know, the state or court agreed, extending the window for them to collect the signatures necessary, which is about, you need about 12% of the California electorate. <clears throat> That's the number of signatures you need to get on the ballot for recall. And then... Um, Governor Hansom decides to go with his lobbyist pals to the French Laundry uh, up in Napa, which is a celebrated restaurant. Yeah, Gibbs has a table there. It's a big old <laughs> Sounds delightful. Out, but anyway. I want to go there. <laughs> yes, I, I washed the dishes at that table, I think. Yeah, and and in November, you know, there was, uh, you know, there wasn't the second spike here in California, but there was a lot of just shutdown, lockdown, COVID fatigue, even among non-knuckle-dragging right-wing people. Like, normies were just like, dude, can we please fucking go back out to eat? And then Newsom is photographed without a mask, with his wife, with a bunch of lobbyists um, eating indoors in the French Laundry. And that gives the recall signature effort huge momentum. I think it went from, like, 50,000 signatures over the course of a month to half a million and then eventually 2.3 million. So that and some money really, showed up paid signature yeah, gathering started. Yeah. So if you're a liberal, you know, cut to the Koch brothers snarling and writing a check and paid, but it, it, you're right. It was organic with an amplifier. Yeah. It was like Chris, Chris Christie on the beach in New Jersey after he shut the state beaches down during that government shutdown. Right. It was just like, it put, it basically like congealed all of the frustration over the lockdown 
onto Gavin Newsom. It put a target on his back. Whether you live in L.A. County and the L.A. County health commissioner was telling you to wear masks or you live in Riverside or you live in San Francisco, like no matter what was angering you, homelessness, wildfires, they shut down my barbershop. It just made Newsom a useful enemy, a foe. And, you know, it didn't help the fact that the guy looks like, you know, he is really smart and cerebral. I think he gets a bad rap in a sense, but he looks like your typical sort of $400 haircut John Edwards politician. No, he's too handsome. I mean, he, yeah. he yeah. this is kind of a silly reference, except for TV nerds. Hamby, you're going to get it. Gibbs, you're going to think this is crazy. But there was a brilliant show called BoJack Horseman, and there was a character, Mr. Peanut Butter, who is a lovable <laughs> golden retriever human hybrid, and he's Mr. Peanut Butter. So he's yeah. easy to hate if you're in a hating mood. Yeah. I think one more one more note on this, yeah. and, and Murphy pointed this out. The original bet from Newsom on this campaign was, this is just a Trump Republican recall. And again, if you are a California resident and like maybe you own a restaurant or you are a nail tech or you are... Uh, you know, uh, Latino, like, maid living in Boyle Heights and riding the bus to, you know, Beverly Hills to clean someone's house, and you have to ride the bus sitting next to a homeless person falling asleep on the bus. Like, that doesn't look like a Trump shut to, like Trump problem to you. It just looks like this shit is broken. And so I think they made an early miscalculation on that front that, you know, this isn't just a Trump Republican recall. Um, there's a lot of different discrete issues in this huge state that are frustrating people. And eventually, I think Larry Elder rising to the top actually allowed them to have a foil. And I think a month ago, you know, I think Newsom would either have won by one or two or lost. And yeah. now I think they've scared enough Democrats into returning ballots. that I think they've righted the ship and I think they're feeling pretty comfortable right now heading into this final week. You mentioned some of that polling. Let's go over it for a second. And in, you know, in that late July polling, as you said, Berkeley LA Times showed 47 remove, 50 don't remove. So all of a sudden, people are starting to get a little weak in the knees. And then um, a Survey USA poll done uh, over the first couple of days in August remarkably shows, and to, to my knowledge, the only public poll that has shown this, showed that 51% were in favor of removing Gavin Newsom. And as you said, that the collective Sacramento freakout ensued. Yeah, which is the natural Democratic status, by the way. There are the, you know, the Republicans to murder the, the John Stuart Mill's quote are kind of the stupid party. Democrats are the neurotic party. And, you know, they're all traumatized by Trump. Nobody thought he could win. Five, Nate Silver said it could never cut to, you know, the Trump's president. So, there's worry, but but let me just quickly say there's another whole card that nobody ever talks about. In 2003, there were about six and a half million registered Democrats. Now there are 10 and a quarter million. So, you know, it is massively up by almost four million more registered Democrats than there were four years ago. It's a growing state. The Republican Party, under the brilliant leadership of Donald Trump and Kevin McCarthy, has gone, well, let's put it this way. Since 2003, there are 10,000 more Republicans. So... 4 million more Democrats, 10,000 more Republicans. And decline to state, which is DTS or our independent vote, has about doubled to 5 million. But this state is so blue that you can literally get a box of hammers and paint it blue and you're going to elect a governor. Um, 
they've they've realigned it back to that by making the last three weeks here about Larry Elder, not about Gavin. But they've never fixed Gavin. Uh, to to Peter's point, there are a lot of people who hope he who vote no on the recall, but hope it's one point to knock him on his ass. I mean, he's still got electorate problems. Just normal people I talk to, like the guy who runs my barber shop, is a Hispanic millennial from Long Beach. He and he gave me a great quote too. He's just like. Even if Newsom wins, he should not. There's a there's a midterm election next year. Like, and this guy is not, by the way, like a very online Politico reader who's on Twitter all the time. Just a guy who runs a business here and has kids who like had his school closed and had to deal with like school from home for a year. He was like, Newsom shouldn't come out of this if he wins comfortable. He's got a midterm election next year, and there's still a lot of angry people. Um, to, and something Murphy said also that's that's important is obviously the voter registration favors Democrats. The reason I first thought about writing about this recall and having covered political campaigns for 15 years, not as, not as long as you hacks, but, um, you know, after the summer, my my girlfriend's friends, we were just hanging out and they are sort of college educated millennials who voted for Biden who are probably exhausted by four to five years of Trump, hair on fire, outrage, existential dread, and are just kind of like cruising into 2021, don't want to think about politics anymore. If you're a white college, they didn't know there was a recall happening. Yeah. Right. And if those voters who voted for Biden, you know, voted for Hillary, you know, voted in 2018, didn't know there was a recall happening, those voters... Imagine how black and brown voters, the kind of drop off working class voters that Democrats need, like they they definitely didn't know a recall was happening or they were going to vote for the recall. And so I think the Newsom campaign just really needed to do a lot of education that there is a recall and like, here's how you vote and like, here's what will happen if you don't. And I think that's really gotten through in the last two or three weeks. It's interesting. Their paid TV is all Elizabeth Warren and Bernie. It's totally trying get to get that. Democrats to show up. Uh, no, their view, look, Democratic consultants in California always think life is a primary because, they know, you know, general elections Mars to them. It's such a blue state. They they don't have to worry, really, in most places. So they're like, well, if no if the crazy pissed off Republicans all show up and no Democrats, particularly younger Democrats show up, then there's a tricky turnout universe where maybe we lose. So they, their whole thing is, you know, bad Republican DeSantis elder Trump. And turn out young Democrats, listen to Bernie, listen to Elizabeth. And a bunch of, bunch of, I had a friend of mine in that world say, yeah, Amy Klobuchar just called nine times and invited herself out here to campaign the minute the polls changed, would like, like to meet a few donors too. You know, a lot of eye rolling in the, in the Democratic world here. So everybody's, I mean, Biden's coming out, Kamala's here tomorrow. They're, they're, they're all here to polarize this thing along partisanship, which is a smart strategy and to turn out voters. I mean, it's a, mail-in election, basically. Democrats are returning their ballots, I think, at like a two-to-one rate compared to Republicans. You know, the, the thing that people always say about election day is, is true here, too. Like, Republicans are hoping they have good election day turnout. Um, but, you know, I mean, mail-in, mail-in voting is something that's going to work in Newsom's favor, too. Let's take a minute to do an ad, and we'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Murphy, is there something that's interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Yeah, world socialism, but keep going. (laughs) 
<laughs> BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. Importantly, it's professional therapy done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is there for clients worldwide. That's the miracle of the worldwide interweb. You can access it anywhere. You can log into your account anytime and send a message right to your therapist. You will get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't have to ever, ever sit in an uncomfortable waiting room flipping through popular mechanics from eight years ago as you might have to with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So they make it really easy, not awkward, and, and free. They don't charge you to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash hacks. That's better, H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, they are now recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. And we have a special offer for Hacks on Tap listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash hacks. Just to go through a little of the registration numbers that both Mike and Peter talked about, you know, in August of 2003, you had 6.6 million Democrats. Uh, you had 5.3 million Republicans. So 44% to 35% with the rest sort of not stating a preference. So you had a, a much closer state than you do now. Democrats have, have only gotten a few percent bigger, but as 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 Mike pointed out, that's 10.3 million Democrats where Republicans have literally kept their same number. They're at 5.3 million Republicans. Yeah, we, we've gone up by 10,000 people. In, yeah, you know, and, again, that's and, Trump. And overall lost about 9% of the stated electorate. So as, as both of you have talked about, the Newsom campaign is is, is focused on you know, this is, as I said in a newsletter, we'll have up a little a little later as well. I mean, this is not a rocket science strategy, right? You don't need a shit ton of micro targeting and a lot of fancy polling. You just look at these registration numbers and say, okay, to Peter's point, like I got to get out the inner what 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 exists of the energized Democratic base, and then I've got to figure out who isn't in that of that 10.3 million Democrats, and I got to make sure they understand this is right in front of them. Yeah, and they don't even need a huge turnout. They just need a mediocre one because they're so big. Um, you know, even a mid-sized elephant can trample you to death to totally mix and destroy metaphors, but donkeys aren't big enough for that to work. Now, let me give you the kind of, if you believe that politics is often ironic chaos and God laughs at us, here's a scenario I think could happen. This recall could be the best thing to happen to Newsom ever because he was stuck in mediocre land making mistakes. There's uh, there's a big scandal on unemployment benefits being ripped off billions and billions of dollars. It, it, it was a mess. So now he's going to win this thing, I believe. 
And he will be able to say, I slew the big red Trump monster. Now, the, the, the reporters in Sackville will say, yes, but only by seven points. You know, it should have been 30. And yeah, yeah, nobody cares. He won. He, he's going to beat back the ours. Then you've got folks like your barber who are all pissed off. If he is smart, he will do a reclock now. And older, wiser, here's what I've learned. And because everything in America that happens first happens in California, I'm going to lead the way to post-COVID America, put the middle class first. He's going to shut down the woke craziness that rules the party he's in that got him into some of this trouble. And then he will get reelected because there's nobody big enough in Democratic politics to take him out in the primary unless it's total Keystone cops. Uh, And so he'll win for free. And now he's validated. And meanwhile, if Joe Biden stays in the vortex of hell here politically, where he's facing a midterm that, while Gavin wins easily because it's a rigged election, he's not going to have real opponents, uh, Biden's going to have a bad midterm because of other things that even Biden doesn't control, but he's made a little worse, at least lately. We'll see how next year goes. Um, Gavin's going to be in New Hampshire in 2023 as the fresh new face the Democrats are looking for uh, if it becomes apparent Biden's not going to run again. That's where he wants to be, and if he's smart and and goes center left and uses this, he he can have a total reclock and a relaunch instead of sitting around his office wondering how his old rival Kamala Harris you know lapped him. So this can still be crazier. Yeah, Robert. I mean, your pal Ben LeBolt told me in that article I wrote that he suggested at least that the California Democratic Party would be healthier with a like stronger Republican opposition because they today are more beholden to the quote unquote woke left that Mike talks about. Right. And I think Newsom has pivoted a little bit on the at least the crime and homelessness um, issues that have, have, you know, affected California. A lot of his photo ops are him, you know, cleaning up trash under underpasses and like like dealing with some of the basic like civic society stuff that, you know, I think a lot of voters just expect from their government. And um, you know, a lot of progressives on city councils in the state have, you know, you know, taken, quote unquote, compassionate approaches to crime and policing and homelessness that are actually run afoul of where a lot of moderate voter sentiment is. And I think um, the other note on Mike's point, which is interesting, um, there's been three gubernatorial recalls in history. Um, this is the third. Um, but remember Scott Walker in Wisconsin back in 2012. Oh, yeah. He was, you know, he fought back a recall in Wisconsin and that, you know, he, he won by a thin margin in a polar, much more polarized state, but that did help him become a um, celebrated Republican conservative warrior. And he sort of helped use that, those donor connections, that Fox news exposure and pivoted that to running for president did not work out for him, obviously, but it really helped him raise his national profile. I guarantee you there are more people uh, in the country right now, um, you know, mostly just because they listen to Hacks on Tap, who now know who <laughs> G- Gavin Newsom is compared to six months ago. And, and you know, in a polarized electorate, a polarized country, like um, most people aren't going to pay attention to the nitty gritty of how many points he won by or what, what the recall was about. He can say, I slayed the Republican Trump beast. And, you know, if you're a, you know, a Manhattan donor, that might be an appealing kind of thing for you or if you're a new hampshire voter um that's a that's an interesting thought he makes a good first impression you know he's he's a new act once you get out of california so we'll see but it could be really good for him if he does a big reclock off the wind 
So, Peter, you agree too that this is uh, th- this the Newsom team is is right of the ship. They're uh, they're not likely to lose this recall, despite the fact that I think I got six email solicitations from people purporting to raise money on the behalf of Governor Newsom yesterday in my uh, in my inbox. Uh, you would have thought this race was you would have thought they were five points down, not probably ten points up. I, again, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, yeah. I, I would have thought that. Um, now, I mean, they could win by five. They could win by ten. You know, it's just it's they could the, win it's by the broad twelve numbers. It, it, yeah. yeah, it just depends yeah. how much the waking blue giant shows up. Elder's not helping himself either. Not that right. like he's was he made a comment, for example, over the weekend where he said Diane Feinstein might die next year, and I would be governor, and I would get to appoint her replacement. Like that's something that Newsom would have liked to say himself, but kind of couldn't. And then Elder just said it. <laughs> and yeah. he's just like, and that would spook the shit out of Democrats in the state. You know, Elder is intellectually pretty honest, which means he's doomed because he's a doctrinaire <laughs> conservative. And uh, he got tangled himself up on slave reparations saying, what about slave owner reparations? And just, you could just feel the air going out of it. It's almost like Gavin's writing his three by five card every day. And Gavin's <laughs> needed this because I think the Gavin thing has been really sloppy politically they've never fixed him which is the problem but they're going to have an opportunity if they win this thing which you know i agree with i think you two the numbers say he probably will peter as as you look at the landscape and, and murphy as well particularly as a as a republican strategist are there issues does 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 crime do things like that are republicans watching how this plays in that california electorate i mean you mentioned uh our mutual friend mr ben labolt who um you know, I think you're still pretty exercised over the fact that the, uh, uh, you know, the, the San Francisco was uh, was busy renaming schools uh, rather than trying to figure out how to make sure kids were in those schools uh, learning. And and it's gotten, you, you know, you can see when when the when the party gets farther away from the concerns of what should be its middle class base. I think when Trump screamed "Law and Order," echoing. Nixon and Reagan, you know, I think a lot of Democrats screamed, you know, racism and dog whistling. Um, but, you know, I mean, when the defund the police, you know, movement started to pop last year, poll after poll showed that black voters wanted as much or more policing in their neighborhoods uh, as anyone else. I mean, I, I, I think that um, crime, homelessness, clean streets. I mean, those are things that attorney generals who run for governor always say, but like they say it because it works. (laughs) Um, You know, like people want city governments, county governments, state governments to work and they don't want to have to, you know, step as Alex Villanueva said, like step over a pile of shit every morning when they go out to pick up their newspaper. That is not a right wing slogan. That is what civil society is supposed to do for its citizens <laughs> and i you know and i i think yeah, quality of life yeah, well but then here we are um i, I would yeah. just say the democratic party in california is totally driven by primary dynamics and that makes a lot of their polls tone deaf to some of this stuff because primary interest groups identity things like that are very powerful so i doubt they've learned anything but we will see because if gavin has he has a springboard as i've been saying to Reclock and as Biden hits trouble and Democrats start having secret meetings about can Kamala Harris win a general election, 
if there's a hunt for new faces that are young and interesting, he can be that person with a restart. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Dr. Gibbs, you know what I could use today? Some big news. I need some big news. Give me something. Give me something fantastic. I've got some big news for you, Murphy. Our favorite home security company, Simply Safe, just launched their new wireless outdoor security camera. That's right. Big news, Murphy. Simply Safe, the mm. system that U.S. News and World Report names best home security system of 2021, just got even better. This brand new outdoor security camera is engineered with all the advanced technology and security features you want and need to help keep you and your family safe. You know, I've been checking out the specifications because that's the kind of informed consumer I am, Gibzo. And this thing is pretty amazing. The camera has an ultra-wide 140-degree field of view, so you can really keep an eye on everything you want to keep an eye on. If it's in the back of the house, you can see your whole yard, and it has a 1080p HD resolution with an 8x zoom, so you can really keep an eye on what's going on. You want to know if that squirrel that's driving you crazy is the same one? With this kind of resolution, you can tell. Plus, it has color night vision and a built-in spotlight illuminator, so you can be into this 24-7. It's very easy to set up. Usually just takes a few minutes. And it has an easy-to-remove rechargeable battery. So you don't need to figure out, call an electrician, hardwire it in. You just use that rechargeable battery. And that way you can put this thing anywhere on your property. It's pretty cool. Murphy, this camera has it all and it integrates with your Simply Safe home security system, extending its protection to the outside. Together, it means every door, window, and room are protected. And now your property will be too. You know, Gibbs, I'm not paranoid, but everyone is out to get me. So a camera like this, well, I had just the security I need at the Murphy Castle. So to check it out, to learn more about the exciting new Simply Safe wireless outdoor security camera, do what I did. Go to simplysafe.com slash hacks. S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash hacks. What's more, Simply Safe is celebrating this new camera by offering 20% off of your wow. entire new system. And your first month of monitoring service, Murphy, is free when you enroll in interactive monitoring. Again, that's Simply Safe, S I M P L I S A F E dot com slash hacks. Let's quickly touch base on abortion politics, which have come just raging to the forefront because Texas and the Supreme Court have done a little two-step that has, uh, I think, really dictated what we're going to be talking about over the next six months of American politics. Well, and I find it interesting, you know, we, we've talked about just over the last 40 or so minutes, you know, how, how do you get a blue electorate uh, pretty energized? And I don't think it was any accident that one of the first public office holders, politicians to go out and talk about what Texas did uh, and what the Supreme Court helped Texas do in in not issuing an injunction around the new state law. He was out talking about the, the politics of abortion and, and what could happen throughout the country and in California, even though with a with a legislative supermajority, that's not likely to happen at a state level in California. But it gives you a sense, Murphy and, and, and Peter, you know, this is an, an issue that will 
greatly animate the Democratic base. And it may well be needed in a big way. Democrats are going into uh, a, an, on a, an off-year midterm, and uh, these don't usually <laughs> work out as well for the party in power. And I think August was a pretty terrible month for, for Biden. The approval ratings have, have dipped. Numbers with independents have dipped. And the real remedy is not different than California. How do you get that Democratic base energized? And this might be uh, just a huge, huge political gift. Well, the Dems always have the same problem, which is their presidential year voters don't show up in the midterms, mostly younger, often of color. And so Republicans always have more muscle in a midterm election. That said, I would bet dollars to donuts that Mitch McConnell was just chomping the excedrin when this um, this thing blew up with abortion. Because in the House races, there are plenty of pro-life districts. You can argue, oh, it'll even help Republican turnout. But in a few of those suburban districts where there are going to be battles, it's anthrax. In the Senate races, it's double anthrax. We want to win the Pennsylvania, the Philly suburbs on an abortion war? No way. The Democrats also have a couple hundred million new dollars now, which is something that the Senate campaign folks keep a, a sharp eye. And then finally, this thing, and Biden started to do it to his credit. Th- this Texas thing is vulnerable from the right because there is not an intellectually honest conservative who's going to say, yeah, turn your neighbor in a hackneyed law, which is engineered to basically skirt uh, constitutional enforceability. Uh, it is not the conservative way. It's not the American way. It's a mob rule thing. And uh, so I, I think this is particularly good news for the Democrats trying to take Senate control because those those key places are where this could be really bad. Now, the, the footnote is the Supremes did not endorse the thing. They just refused to intervene against what I thought was a, a ridiculously unconstitutional law. But there, there is going to be an appeals process. I think the odds this thing gets nuked on the way to the Supreme Court hearing it are fairly high. But in the political world, who cares? Big, scary abortion law, big, scary hint to pro-choice voters from the Supreme Court. That's all you need to set the east ablaze, so to speak, uh, just in time for the Senate races. To use Bo Burnham as a political strategist, look at a white woman's Instagram after this Texas law and the Supreme Court ruling. Uh, Every white woman's Instagram and my Instagram feed, every story was about this. Um, And it reminded me of sort of Women's March era 2017. People were posting about how Republicans were trying to control women's bodies. Um, You know, college-educated suburban women were the linchpin of the 2018 midterm vote for Democrats, for Biden. They, you know, they used to vote Republican actually yeah. back in that before, back before Trump. Um, and if those folks are motivated in the suburbs heading into the midterms, again, it just gives Biden something to both like run on and run against. And, you know, I would ask, I'd actually ask Robert, like, you know, you were in the Obama white house in the first couple of years of his administration when his approval ratings were going down, like how, like, how should the Biden White House approach this? Like, they have something to to point at and say, like, Republic, like, in other words, like, there's not necessarily a Donald Trump out there to run against. He's fading a little bit. You, but you do have governors in all of these states enacting a lot of very conservative legislation that's unpopular. Like, how, but like, how do you message that from 
yeah. the White House? It's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, the Biden team, I think smartly rhetorically got out there early and said, you know, we're going to even the president saying this a whole of government effort uh, to turn back this Texas law. Now, the reality of it is there isn't a lot that can be done um, legislatively based on sort of where we are. Uh, you know, the, I think smartly Pelosi and Schumer have said they're going to put essentially Roe v. Wade on the floor of the Senate and vote. Um, and I think it's smart to get people wound up. I think it's smart to get people on the record. As you said, Murphy, there's going to be some close Senate races. The top six most tightly contested presidential states in 2020 all have Senate races in 2022. So getting yep. getting those folks on the record is imperative. Again, I don't think legislatively there's a lot they can do. But again, I, I think this will probably go into a broader narrative as the White House gets closer to 2022, which is let's throw all of these, you mentioned it, Peter, all of these kind of draconian ideas that aren't really conservative. They're not really Republican. They're just downright scary. Let's throw them all into a pot and swirl that around. And that becomes the kind of message you've got governors out there who they don't understand science. They're, you know, they're not helping with the common sense measures that would fix this uh, pandemic. They want to take your rights away. They want to do a whole lot of scary things. And uh, meanwhile, Democrats are out trying to make uh, the economy better for middle class Americans. And I think that's the that's the this isn't going to be a short term thing. I think this will be a long term thing that lasts well into November. That's definitely where they want to go. Totally. The issue is going to be, and I think this is underrated by the national media, which doesn't try to have a partisan bias, but tends to have a big 20 county college educated, secular, you know, left of center bias culturally, is the Democrats can be scary too in the House. We found that in 2020 when they couldn't get traction off the Biden win. And if the squad, et cetera, we go into this three trillion dollar spending spree. The Dems think whenever you propose new spending, you win votes. Not necessarily true. Um, and and that's going to start, we'll be talking about it a lot next week. Uh, this week, as 3.5 trillion starts to shrink, progressives get mad. The squad can be very scary about seizing the means of production. So I think it could be a fear off Republican cultural stuff versus Democratic economic stuff. And we will be here watching it. Now, because we're out of time, except for the mailbag, we better play the hit. It's listener mailbag. First, a little bit of housekeeping. Number one, if you have a mailbag question, send it to us. We do look at them all. Hacksontap at gmail.com. Hacksontap at gmail.com. And earlier, you heard the esteemed Mr. Gibbs talk a little bit about a newsletter. So here's a plug. Gibbs and I, we couldn't afford Axelrod, and he has a tight CNN contract. But Gibbs and I... Do a newsletter twice a week, comes in your inbox for Bulletin. Cool new platform. You ju- you can subscribe. It is free for now. Who knows what we might be up to later. But you get our thoughts, not only on what you hear on the podcast, but a lot of trivia and fun stuff and everything else. It is the Hacks on Tap newsletter. And you can subscribe at hacksontap.bulletin.com. Hacksontap.bulletin.com. Give it a look. Check it out. Uh, We think you will enjoy it. We are sure having fun doing it. Okay. Plugs are done. Well, check out Puck News, too. I'm plug happy right now, which is a cool (laughs) new thing Hamby's set up. 
it, it, it's you. pretty cool. A lot of a uh, lot of high quality people involved. Let's go to question number one for Mr. Robert Gibbs. Christina, an insightful listener, wants to know uh, in her question. She writes, "All I know about the budget reconciliation package is the proposed price tag. Hearing three point five trillion dollars isn't a selling point. In fact, it kind of scares me. Way to go, Christina. You're right." Wouldn't the average voter rather hear about the benefits they might get? Why don't Democrats talk about that? How would you coach them to sell this package? So in the words of the great old advertising strategist who remains nameless but would remind you of Don Draper, first rule of advertising, don't sell the drill, sell the hole it makes. What's your advice to Democrats? Let me tell you, Christina, how I would sell this. I would read them your email. I was just about to go as Murphy was taking us into mailbag on budget reconciliation. I was about to go on a little bit of a rant on this. Your question allows me to continue uh, (laughs) on that rant. And uh, I said this a few weeks ago. I think if this becomes a debate on the Democratic side, about 3.5 or 3.2 or 2.8 or 2.75 or 2.5, we are going to lose. And 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 look, to be clear, the political media wants to and will cover this exactly through that lens. I remember at the end of healthcare, um, Pew, I think, had done polling. Um, more people watch stories on the politics of healthcare reform than knew what was in healthcare reform. So that is a failing of the the coverage of how media covers Washington, but it was honestly also a failure of our ability to communicate. Democrats have to take whatever the number is, uh, because that number is going to be historic, but whatever the number is and break it into its smart component parts. Right, it, it's it's paid medical or it's paid family leave, um, you know, for people that are are, you know, want to take a break to take care of a sick parent. It's it's healthcare reform. It's making sure that people have the subsidies they need to buy affordable healthcare. It, it's making sure that college is affordable. It's all the things that we know poll at seventy percent. And oh, by the way, let's not forget. The rich people and businesses that can afford to pay more are the ones that are paying for it. All of that is hugely popular. But I think if we get stuck in this swirl of how much money and, and, and you know, this group wants more money and this group wants less money, but there's no real discussion about its component parts, then Democrats shouldn't be surprised to see a poll in October that nobody knows what they did. Uh, but they're very focused on spending. And I think that would be an enormous mistake. So, Christina, I hope um, I hope everyone is listening. I hope they read your email on this because you're spot on. My prediction is that they will talk about the workers seizing the means of production. Okay, Mr. Hamby, John would like to know this. His, he writes, the pro-war bias of mainstream media, in my view, has been amazing to watch of late. Is there any way Biden could call it out? Maybe quote Eisenhower or something and make news of the news coverage. I don't think this is actually a great question. I don't think, first of all, there's whereas with Trump and Republicans, there is now political capital to be gained from attacking the media all the time as a culture war fight that doesn't graft onto the Democratic Party as well. I think Jen Psaki and 
know, Democratic operatives and strategists can dunk on the media all they want. Biden can't necessarily do that. I think there's something to the idea of a pro-war bias in the Washington political media. I don't think it's explicitly pro-war. If it was pro-war, we would have been covering Afghanistan nonstop over the last 10 years. And it's frankly something the press hasn't covered at all (laughs) in a mainstream way for very long until the evacuation. Um, I think there are some biases, though, in the political press at play here. One is um, the tendency to view all currents in the world, political or not, through the prism of, is this good or bad for the president and his party politically? Is he up or down because of this? Um, I think there is a tendency in the White House press corps to view themselves as oppositional to the president, um, especially after Trump. And, you know, after a pretty good, you know, first year for Biden, um, this allowed them to be present themselves as critical and fair. Um, And there were also pictures from those first few days. Pictures are very important. And these pictures were not good for Biden. And they established a narrative. But You know, I think that particularly among male journalists and male political correspondents in Washington, there's kind of a a fetishization of the war correspondent and combat journalism. And this goes back to Michael Hare and David Halberstam, you know, the sort of swashbuckling journalists out there. I think um, a lot of political journalists are see themselves as patriotic. This is one reason, Mike, you can (laughs) you surely know this, that they love John McCain. Um, You know, like they a lot of journalists like like our heroes, they like the military and they are unimpeachable figures um, to them. And so um, you saw a lot of journalists, particularly on television, who've been covering Afghanistan for a while. And they have sort of, you know, sometimes a little bit of the Stockholm syndrome that affects campaign journalists covering a campaign. You know, you get in the bubble and you start to defend your people uh, to the point where, you know. It might not be the most objective coverage. Um, so, yeah, there's just some interesting impulses in the press that I was witnessing through this. And, you know, to be fair, the war correspondents aren't automatically right all the time. I mean, Clarissa Ward is an incredible journalist for CNN, um, what, you know, way better than a lot of political journalists in TV. But she also said there's no way they could evacuate 50,000 people <laughs> in a few weeks. Biden evacuated 120,000 people in a few weeks. Like, Um, so, you know, um, I, I just do think that war coverage is this thing that a lot of political journalists sort of fantasize about. And I think that kind of played out a little bit over the last few weeks. You know, most generals do get better press than they deserve just kind of automatically, uh, at least in the U S they're just kind of a bias. If they're general, they gotta be good. And, uh, you get a general drunk or an admiral and they're confessed that, you know, <laughs> maybe it's like, like doctors getting the lead die. Oh God, don't go to him. He'll kill you. Anyway, <laughs> Mr. Gibbs, what's All our right. last question? Let me ask a question of you, Murphy, addressed specifically to you, uh, from John. It says, Murphy, do you believe as I do that Trump is a one trick pony? If so, how can he possibly run the same playbook in a 2024 primary insulting and name-calling every Republican primary opponent. Do you believe in his wildest dreams that no one would oppose him in the primary? John, that's a good question. I think he is a one-trick pony, but it's proven to be a good trick in Republican primary elections. You know, I, I think he is fading. I think he has more trouble on the horizon 
but nature and politics abhor vacuums, and the Democrats are busy creating one. They often they often help Trump without meaning to. Uh, Trump is a tribal politician, and the more the Democrats brand themselves as as, as tribal, and more they put identity politics as the number one defining message of the party. It lets Trump open up the grievance store and sell some tickets. Uh, so. I think he is feeling more of a pull toward running. I thought six months ago he wouldn't run again, afraid to lose. And he's still anthrax in the general election. But if the Biden narrative gets worse, Trump will get credit by the media for the midterms, even if he has nothing to do with them. You know, that's one of the problems with D.C. political coverage. The midterms happen, and then there's a mythology that has to pick a Washington winner or loser in the sports coverage horse race. And Trump will get a boost. He will smell weakness on Biden and think, okay, you know, this is my shot to come back. Trump is crazy enough to think the election was cheated because um, he can create a reality bubble in his own head. That's part of his madness. So he may run for revenge, which is his favorite emotion and his favorite motivator. In the Republican primaries, I think he is not Superman. You know, we argue all this stuff on anecdotal things. It's not 2018 anymore. The big litigation, though, that'll set that clock is going to be next year in the Republican primaries in about 12 congressional seats where people voted to impeach Trump. Not not all 12, but uh, there there's some other kind of Trump dubious candidates who will have Trumpy primary opponents and the president will get involved. And we will have a good litmus test then. I don't think Trump is going to be able to take out Anthony Gonzalez, who voted to impeach him. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to be able to take out Peter Meyer or Jamie Herrera Butler. But those races are going to be the scene setter for where the Republican Party is going. And they are going to be really, really hard fought. Uh, And then we'll know a little more and Trump will know a little more. But right now, I think he's inching toward running. And while he's not inevitable, you have to call him the early and I would say fragile front runner uh, to run again. So the question is, will the Democrats create an opportunity? If Biden can't write his ship, uh, there's trouble in Democratic land because they're not making many more Bidens. And Biden won because he wasn't uh, Kamala Harris and and he wasn't Bernie Sanders. And, you know, he wasn't kind of the modern progressive Democrat. So the Connor Lambs of the world is now going to have to fight out a Pennsylvania primary against a Bernie candidate who's very formidable, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman. You know, we got to have some of these science experiments to see what the Democratic bench post Biden is. If Biden's in so much trouble, he can't run again. Uh, And if the Democrats nominate the wrong candidate, uh, with the wrong message, Trump will be back in business. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated, Murphy, to watch. What sort of deference does Trump get uh, in terms of candidates that throw their hat into the ring? Because I, I can see him becoming a far stronger front runner because everybody sort of steps back and decides, uh, well, it's his decision. I'm going to let him make up right. his mind. If If everybody steps back and he is the only one that steps forward, uh, he'd he'd probably be he'd probably in his own head think he'd be crazy not to run because everybody is basically going to give him the nomination. I, I think the only the only um, you know advice I'd give to anybody who's thinking about running against him is you know there are a generation of politicians who waited for what they believed was their perfect time to run. Many of them uh, that never came back around again. 
right? Right. You don't pick the time. The time picks you. And so if you're a Governor DeSantis, and again, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm not on team DeSantis. I don't think you have to listen what? much to understand that. No, I don't believe you. <laughs> but if somebody like that decides, well, I'm going to let Trump make up his mind on his terms, then I think the likelihood is that they're going to be, uh, you know, it's going to look a little bit like um, the California ballot in 2003's recall. There's going to be, uh, you know, there's going to be a Terminator and there's going to be a lot of uh, of sideshows. And I think if that's the case, you, you know, it's hard to imagine Trump doesn't become the nominee. It's never anyone's turn. Like no one's yeah, ever won a yeah. nomination without fucking taking it. You know, like you yep. got to go and grab it. Like if you just sit around and like think like, oh, this is my lane. And like you get too tactical. Like it's just that just never works out. Fortune favors the bold. It is true in many things. And the ultra cautious people don't make that one crazy leap. Look at I remember everybody saying a lightweight one term senator from Illinois who's never done anything, can't run for president. But he took the leap. OK, I think we're out of time. Follow Mr. Hamby's exploits at Good Luck America on Snapchat or Puck News. Gibbs and I will be back. Remember our newsletter, hacksontap.bulletin.com. How's that for a hard sell? And uh, Peter, thanks for joining us. Gibbsy, great to hear from you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it was lots of fun. And don't worry, uh, Peter, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna help Murphy download Snapchat just as soon as we get done here. Can that work on my 8-track? <laughs> All right, <laughs> see you guys. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.